Do grab your Bibles. We're looking at a sort of bigger portion. So actually, I'm not going to do a big reading at the beginning, as we normally would, um, but there'll be lots of little ones on the way through. Hopefully that will make sense. Um, in 1625 in Oxford, uh, something began. Any ideas what began in 1625? It was in town this last week, St. Giles Fair, thank you very much. I'm sure many of us will have been down and spent extraordinary amounts of money um, on rides and candy floss and winning huge cuddly toys that you don't really want, or a number of us will have avoided it as best we can. Um, the look on your face maybe says the latter. Um, and so at this time of the year, I wanted to introduce our Vision Sunday and the sermon for this morning by introducing you to two fairground rides, and then we're going to have a bit of a physics lesson to try and understand something about them. I'm well aware that we have physics teachers in the room. And then I'm going to try and understand or explain why I'm talking about fairground rides at the beginning of a sermon on a Vision Sunday. Um, so bear with me and hopefully, God willing, it will make sense. Um, I should be a picture. There we go. It's behind us. Thank you very much. So here are my two fairground rides. The first is a roller coaster um, with loop the loops in them. Probably most of us in the room at some point or another will have enjoyed or not the experience of being squished into a small cart, having a kind of thing over us to keep us in, you're thrown around the track, you're feeling bruised, you're exhilarated, and I'm slightly cheating because of course there is no um, loop the loop roller coaster at St. Giles, but imagine there was, imagine St. Giles was a bit longer as a road and there was more route anyway. Number one is our roller coaster, number two is the chair swings, more predictable, less exciting, the older I get the more I like the less exciting. And the difference between the two rides, between the roller coaster and the chair swings, here is our quick physics lesson. You can find Charlie Curry later and he will give you some real clarity. But, roller coaster. What happens when you go on a tight bend? Or when you go loop the loop on a roller coaster? Have you noticed you get, you get sucked into the middle? That's how the physics works. Again, ask Charlie afterwards. But for now, just know you are sucked in on the roller coaster. And the chair swings, what happens with the chair swings? Well, it's the opposite, isn't it? You get flung out. The faster it goes, the more it speeds up, the more you get flung out till you're practically horizontal. And the real science bit is this. The roller coaster, we have centripetal force. Yeah? Some of you, physics is coming back, isn't it? Yeah, somewhere that's dredged away. Anyway, and the chair swings, centrifugal force. Centripetal in, centrifugal out. And you thought you were coming to church this morning to learn about Jesus. Why am I talking about this? Well, in one sense, the, the church is to function like both of those rides. Throughout the scriptures, God's people are always meant to function like both of those rides. That's always been his plan. I think it's particularly evident in John's gospel. And so as we think about who we are and how we relate to East Oxford and Oxford and beyond, and as we consider us a bit for Vision Sunday... Let me try and show you why these two matter. The loop-the-loop -loop roller coaster, the centripetal, is because in one sense God's people are increasingly like him and so magnetic. We, we, we are to draw people in. The way that we interact, the way that we care for each other, the way that we love, the way that we show mercy, the, the way that we are different, means in one sense God's pe people are, are meant to draw others in. We suck in its, its centripetal. And then the other way as well, we're like the chair, sw chair swings. We are centrifugal. We are propelled outwards. 
Our God is a sending God. He sends you and he sends me and he sends us out into the world. We're not to stay in a huddle. We are pushed out to love and to speak for him into a world that's far from him. So Morgan Road, we are to be attractive like a loop-the-loop roller coaster, drawing people in through the way that we interact with each other. But as well as that, we are to, to be those who are sent out like chair swings. We are centripetal and we are centrifugal. Why is it like that, though? Where does that come from? Why is that even a thing? What does it mean for us? Well, I think this sermon, if you like, or this idea, essentially is an outworking of two aspects of the love of God. They are both foundational in John's Gospel. We've seen some of them over the summer already. But they are an outworking of two aspects of what our God is like in his love. And the first one, actually as Phil was just sharing with some of the kids a moment ago, the first aspect of his love is that God has a love for himself, if you like. Ours is a God who loves. God is love, John will write later on. He always has been and he always will be. Before anything was created, for all eternity, the Father loved the Son, who loved the Spirit, who loved the Father, who loved the Son. There is a mystery in the Trinity, yes, but there's a simplicity and a clarity, something we shouldn't be embarrassed by. There is this wonderful intra-Trinitarian love that sits at the heart of reality. It's not just theoretical, it's not just an idea. But the Father loves the Son, who loves the Spirit. They, they pour love out on each other. They take delight in each other. They bring delight to each other. They serve each other. They work together in complete unity. They, they give gifts to each other even, the Bible will say. Which means when there was no earth and no creation and no nothing at all, there was already deep fellowship within, within God, perfectly complete, relationally fulfilled, and that is the reality at the heart of reality. And maybe you say, well, okay, where do we come from then? Why is there a creation even? Well, God didn't create us because he was lonely or because he needed us in any way. How could he be lonely if for all eternity the Father has loved the Son, has loved the Spirit? How could he need anything? He is God. In one sense, we are not needed. Or it's not just that he was bored or was after a new hobby or some kind of project to pass the time because things were getting a bit dull. Now, why did he create if it was so complete and he was so content? I think there's something in the nature of God's love that he, he seeks to share. It is as if he is a fountain overflowing, bubbling over, as if he's unable to keep all his love in, in one sense. And so he creates a people in his image whom he loves and who get to love and enjoy him too. That's in one sense what life is about, the Bible would say. And it's why John, the gospel writer, starts with Jesus at the very beginning of his gospel. Do you remember it? He says, in the beginning was... Oh, in the beginning was the word. John's opening is to echo the very start of the Bible, the very beginning of Genesis. And maybe we expect him to say, in the beginning God created, but he doesn't. He says, in the beginning was the word. So John is saying, before, 
before New Testament times, before the exile, before the division of the kingdom, before David or Joshua or Moses or Abraham or, or Noah or Cain or Abel or Adam or Eve, or before the world even, before the universe, before anything was made, Jesus was there, eternally there. In the beginning was the words. Which is why, as if you were around last week, we saw with James, John 17, 24, you loved me before the foundation of the world, Jesus said to his father. There was never a time when the father did not love the son. You, you can't rewind a bit further and say, well, well, when the son was not the son, but that, no, he has always been a God of love. Because there was never a time when the son was not the son. The father loves the son, he loves the spirit for all eternity. And his desire, God's desire then, it was expressed in the prayer from last Sunday. In fact, Phil was sharing it with the kids again. It may be that we were brought together in loving unity. That is at the heart of God. We are drawn into that loving unity of the Father loving the Son, loving the Spirit. As if we, men and women, boys and girls, in East Oxford this morning, 11th of September 2022, sat in an old primary school gym, we are drawn into the very heart of our eternal Trinitarian God and his love as the Father loves the Son, he loves the Spirit. Do you remember the prayer from last week? My, my prayer is not for them alone, that is not just the first disciples, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that they, all of them, may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Centripetal. We're drawn in, which is why the church ought to be a place of love. Jesus will say, or he's already said, 15 verse 9, abide in my love. Or why Jesus will say, 13 verse 35, by this everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another, as if we are on the loop, the loop roller coaster, drawn into the loving heart of God, this centripetal force, so that we live and we love as church family. And it's meant to draw others in. It's meant to be attractive. It's meant to be magnetic. It's what God's people were always meant to be like. Beautiful. Different. Not in how we look or dress or simply skin deep. That's not real beauty, is it, in one sense? But rather because he is beautiful. He is kind. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is good. He is glorious. There was a, um, a theologian, a church pastor, a man named Leslie Newbegin. And he said the best apologetic, that is the best argument for the gospel, is a church that believes it and lives it and proclaims it. Which means it's not through clever arguments, though there may be a place for them. It's not through wise and persuasive words, though there may be a place for that but in a world characterized by grudges and grumps, the best argument for the truth of the Christian faith is a local church. It's transformed lives. It's the way that we treat each other, the way that we live. We're a people whom God has helped. He helps us to hold short accounts. He helps us to forgive each other. He helps us to show grace. 
we receive it and we give it. Which means in a world of division and anger and all kinds of polarization, we're a people of patience. People who are willing to love those who are not really like us. In a world deficient of truth, a world full of half-truths and PR spinning, we're a people of truth and clarity and transparency. We've been shown abundant grace, abundant truth, abundant mercy, patience, kindness. And because we are drawn into that, because we have a God who is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love, and because he's at work in us by his spirit, making us more like Jesus, then, then we're to draw people in to the church in one sense. What does that mean for us as a church family? What is this inward trajectory that we see again and again in the scriptures? What does that mean? Well, maybe it's the formal bit of church life. Maybe it's how we do our Sundays. Maybe it's how we do our home groups. Maybe it's our formal gatherings and church picnics and lunches. And maybe we're trying to mix up our friends and our contacts. And we've, we don't have our sort of church people over here and our non-church people over here. And we keep them as far apart as possible. And almost like we're living two separate lives. But actually there's a sense in which we are mixing them up. Because the best apologetic of the gospel is a church that believes it, lives it, and proclaims it. People transformed by it. And you want your non-Christian mates to be hanging out with your Christian friends. Because in them, they will see something of what God is like. Maybe it's as the gospel sort of trickles down into the daily nooks and crannies of our normal lives. Their daily growing, their daily conformity into the likeness of Jesus. Maybe it's just the daily putting off of the old and putting on of the new. And so the cynical watching world looks or ought to look at a church family and we're not perfect. Goodness me, we're not perfect. We know that. But they ought to be able to kind of peer in and see something of what God is like. Leap the loop roller coaster. Centripetal, drawing people in. Now we talk about the building. This building is bricks and mortar. If you're new here, come and chat afterwards about the building. It's been a long journey. But this building is an opportunity for people to come in and see something, not of the building, but of the community within the building, particularly the church. And we welcome them into our home, into our space, and we get to know them, and they get to know us, not because we're great, goodness me, but because he is, which means we show hospitality. Not because we are showing hospitality in one sense, but because we want them to know what he is like and how he has changed us. You'll know next Saturday, you've already heard the notice, there's a community day. An opportunity for people to come and see something of what God is like as they see something of us and what he's done for us and in us and is doing for us and in us. Come and mingle and serve and help and chat. And... So there's the formal stuff. And that matters, I think, the stuff that we kind of organize and put on. But it actually, it's much, much more than that. It must be the informal as well. It must be the deliberate decision to generously love those in our lives. 
because we've been shown love by him, so we love them. The daily privilege of kind of caring for each other as a church family, again, so that, that those who get the sort of glimpse into our lives see something of him through us and how we relate. It's the loop, the loop roller coaster. It's drawing people in. It's the centripetal force. So that's the first aspect of God's love that I think is meant to shape us. And we see it in John. We've seen it through the last few weeks. It's that intra-Trinitarian love. It, that sounds a bit kind of up there somewhere. And what does that actually mean? But the reality of it, the outworking of it is we are shaped more into loving the way that God loves and so the world sees something more of what he is like. Second aspect of God's love, though, from John's gospel, is that it's his love for the world. Famously, John 3.16, you're at a, probably an American sporting event. There are placards, there are t-shirts. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Maybe at this point we just need to draw into a label and you're thinking, well, hang on, you've been talking quite a lot about the love of God and suddenly you use word like perish and we're talking about death. And if you know John's gospel at all, you will know that Jesus dying on the cross is pretty key. It's kind of the last quarter at least. Is it quarter? Yeah, because we start in chapter, probably last half even, it kind of starts in 13 all the way to 21. That's not quite half, I know. Third. Where did the love go? Why are we talking about death and perishing? What's going on there? Well, theologians put it this way. They say that love is a, a fundamental, eternal attribute of God. It has always been there and it always will be there. God cannot be unloving. And yet his anger against sin, and so our need of a saviour, is an outworking of his response to our rebellion. That is, he has not always been angry with sin, because there was a time when there wasn't sin. He has and he will always be love. He has not always been angry. Martin Luther describes it as God's alien work. His anger is his alien work. It's... It's something that's not at the heart of who he is in one sense, but an outworking of another aspect. And we say, well, couldn't he just ignore sin? Why does he have to be angry? I liked the God of love. I'm not so keen on this anger thing and this cross and dying thing. I mean, I'm good at ignoring stuff. You know, you're late for a meeting, you go into a room, you see a a desk of dirty crockery, hypothetically, and you think, I don't have time for that now, I'm going to turn a blind eye to that mess, and I'm going to grab my car keys, and I'm going to run, so that I'm not late. And you think, well, can't God just turn a blind eye to those things over there? I mean, we, we do it all the time, don't we? Well, no, because God, as well as being perfectly loving, is perfectly holy and, and righteous, and he doesn't have a blind eye to turn, therefore. For him to turn a blind eye to the reality of sin well, then he's not really righteous. It doesn't work. He didn't ignore it, and so because he loves us, he sent. God is a God who sends. Again, we've seen that week on week through this series. In his love for his world, he always sends what we need. And in John's Gospel, you get it again and again. In love, he sends. So he sends John the Baptist first. 
girl of Walmapat, in one sense, getting us ready for the main event, getting us ready for Jesus. God loves, so he sends. So you get it. In 1 verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. We've already seen John 3.16. God loves, and so he sends. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Or John 6.38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus is a sent one. Tomb of Lazarus. Do you remember he prays at the tomb? He says to his father, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. He sends Jesus. And then we are sent as well. Because God loves, so he sends. So chapter 17, 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You head to school tomorrow? You have been sent. You go to the office or the shops or wherever you work or whatever your week will be, you have been sent. Go to your your family, your friends, your neighbours, your teammates. You are sent. And are we sent on our own to do it in our own strength? No, no, he's always with us. Always. He is not a far off God, but he comes close. And so chapter 14, 26, by the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he says. Because God loves, because God loves, he sends. It's as if we're like the chair swings at the fair. And we're just kind of flung out, centre of Fugally, a force that pushes us out into the world. What does that mean? Phil said we've had the last year, but maybe the last six months, particularly as a church, very deliberately making space and time and opportunity for a sort of reconnection with each other. I mean, we've been called into a church family, haven't we? It's a it's a family meal, as you might know, and. COVID and all the associated lockdowns have been absolutely rotten, haven't they? To, to try and keep your distance from each other and yet be church family, is it feels like a contradiction in terms. It feels like an oxymoron. And so we've deliberately made space that we might be able to sort of reacquaint ourselves with each other. There was a day away. There were lots of picnics. There's prioritizing other things. And those things will continue as well. We're going to have church lunches, hopefully, we plan to this, um, these next few months. And other things going on as well. But on top of them, as Phil was saying, we want to consider how we can be praying for and prioritizing our being sent by God to the streets around us and beyond. For us as a church family, for us as individuals, what does it mean that he sends as we go each week? Maybe we've lost some confidence. Maybe we've lost some boldness. Maybe it's just kind of slipped down the priority list because too many things have slipped up because it has been an awful few years. So who are the people the Lord has put in your life? Who is he sending you to? If you're anything like me, you might feel a bit jaded, a bit fearful, a bit anxious as you think about being sent out. I'm not so keen on the chair swings thing. I'd rather stay on the roller coaster and people can come and see me rather than me going out to them. But now our God is a sender. The church is not made to just sit still. It's, 
It's the trendy cyclist on the posh bike at the traffic lights and they're kind of wobbling and struggling and balancing because they don't want to put their foot down as they wait for the green light to come. You've seen them? In many ways, a stationary church is, is an uncomfortable church to be in. It's not what it's meant to be like. We were meant to move and to press on and to grow and mature and be, be sent out to reach out to others, however old we might be. Our vision statement, some of you will know, is that we belong to reach out to all the peoples of East Oxford, Oxford and the world with the glorious gospel of Christ. We are sent, we are flung out like chair swings. Now you've heard before from me, not for a while, but one of my favourite phrases to sort of help us consider this and get to grips with this idea is to do what you love and take Jesus with you. Do what you love. And take Jesus with you. I think that's so helpful because it means you can be yourself. We, we are very different. We are wired differently. And yet each of us then has different opportunities, unique opportunities. You don't have to be somebody you're not, whatever it is for you. So some of you love to dig the allotment. Go and dig. And yet take Jesus with you. Not just your spade, your seeds. But take him along. And pray for opportunities to speak of him. Some of you are into photography. Go and snap. And take Jesus with you. Some of you are very sporty. Make time for sport. Join a local team. Take Jesus with you. Some of you have young families. Go and meet up for coffee with other parents with young families and talk about family life and talk about nappies and talk about how tired you feel. But take Jesus with you. Pray for opportunities you might speak about him. Or just invite the neighbours over or friends at the school gate or films or books or art or the pub or rowing or walking or board games or knitting or whatever it might be. It's okay to be you. It's okay to like the things that you like, assuming they're not sinful. But do what you love and take him with you. Make time for it. Make time for them. Put your life in a place where people can watch you. Maybe even they can see you engage with other believers. But do what you love and take Jesus with you. I think so often we almost drive around metaphorically as if we're in a car with um, sort of dark tinted windows. And we get to look out and see them. But they don't really get to see in and see us. And remember, you aren't on your own. Pray for opportunities. Maybe... Maybe it is, this is my challenge for me at least for this next season, is the first prayer over my first cup of tea as I get up in the morning is to pray for open doors during that day. Simple as that. Maybe even a step back from that and it's pray for the kind of heart that wants to pray for open doors for the day ahead. But friends, we have a Trinitarian God who is so full of love, so full of love that because he loves, so we, we, we love each other. We are the loop-the-loop loop roller coaster, centripetal force, attractive, drawn in, the way that we relate to each other as we are drawn into his love for himself. It means that there's a, a magnetism, an attractive. And because he loves, secondly, so he sent his son out, flung out chair swings, centrifugal. And we go... And we take his love with us. 
to a world that needs to hear. We have to be those who say, come and see. And we have to be those who go and tell. Let me pray. Father, we confess that easily as we think about telling others about the Lord Jesus, we confess easily we makes us feel anxious or afraid or like we're not really sure we want to. And so we pray that we would grasp and know more of your love and that that would empower us, that would fuel us, that would shape us. We pray that we might be a church who, perhaps even over our first cup of tea in the morning or equivalent, is willing to pray for opportunities for the day ahead. We pray for opportunities to to love other believers and so that the world might see something of what you're like. But we pray for opportunities too because you love the world that we might go we might be flung out, sent out. We might say to people, come and see. And then we might be those who go and tell. In Jesus' name, amen.